You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Good morning, Life Church. It's a privilege for me to have an opportunity to present God's Word uh, to us this morning. I have to say that uh, uh, this series is one that I spent time with many years ago and haven't thought about in a long time. And so this invitation to be a part of this experiencing God reflection in the Word has been really good for me and also convicting for me. So I got another copy of the book, and when I'm all done teaching, I'm going to let this word uh, teach me afresh because just because uh, I'm given the opportunity to present this word doesn't mean that I'm there yet. And we each of us will be spending our whole life learning how it is to follow Jesus. But thank you for this opportunity. So uh, today we're going to talk about joining God requiring uh, adjustments in our life. And, you know, it's interesting for me to think about uh, many of our churches go out of their way to be very seeker-friendly, and we see Jesus in the gospel stories being very uh, seeker-friendly, going after the lost sheep, rich in love and mercy and forgiveness. At the same time, uh, Jesus reveals that uh, his Father wants to have a serious relationship with us. So we have this great mercy, this great love of God, but it will only ignite fully when we respond to the love of God by loving him back. And when that is our chief desire, uh, we can know that this is going to result in major adjustments in our life. So I want to give uh, three examples from the Gospels of this uh, happening. The first is uh, Peter. It's really Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But most dramatically, we see it in Peter's story in Luke 5, where his boat fills up with fish, and he's a fisherman, and uh, the impact of Jesus' word and uh, what Jesus is doing in his life crashes Peter to his knees and says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus saying, uh, have no fear. I'm going to teach you how to fish for human beings. And Peter really leaves his trade and devotes himself to being a follower of Jesus uh, really first among the apostles. In Matthew 9, we have the story of Matthew, the tax collector, at his booth. Jesus walking by saying, come follow me. And Matthew is so surprised that Jesus would see him, that Jesus would want him, that Jesus would love him. He leaves his job. He leaves his tax collecting job. And he also has a huge party for all of his friends who most respectable people call all his low-life friends. 
and asked Jesus if he would be willing to be at this party, and which Jesus is uh, happy to do. But Matthew leaves everything to follow Jesus. And then we have the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I heard this uh, story at the Detroit Rescue Mission from a preacher from Jamaica who talked about how uh, this woman left her water jar at the well. And his great question was, what have you left for Jesus? What, uh, it, it might not seem like much to you and me, but there is no mire, there is no Walmart, there is no place to get another jar big enough to hold the water that you need for the day. And this is not a well-liked woman in the community. So for her to let that go, it is a very risky thing. But it's gotten in the way now. It's gotten in the way of her being able to share the good news about Jesus. So she, she puts it down. And uh, we also have an example in the scriptures of somebody who said no to Jesus. Uh, the rich young man, uh, stories in Luke 18, and uh, he says to Jesus, I've been keeping commandments. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and come follow me. George MacDonald says, uh, are you worried that Jesus would make this offer to you? Don't worry, he hasn't offered it to you. Is that a comfort to you? Then what was you? You indeed don't sell them for 30 pieces of silver, but you are glad not to buy them with all that you have. I'm still reflecting on that one and feeling some degree of conviction. We also uh, have three texts. One of them is prominent in this chapter in the Experiencing God book uh, from Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. If anybody wants to come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. We also, and whoever loses his life for me will save it. We also have uh, the text in Matthew 6, where Jesus tells us that we need to Seek first what God wants. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his justice, his way of things being as uh, they should be. And then the other things will be given to us as well. But kingdom priorities first. And in Matthew 13, after uh, telling many parable stories, Jesus will tell us that the kingdom of heaven it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had to buy that field. So all these texts... Uh, are not new to me, but uh, in this invitation to uh, reflect with you 
on what the Spirit of God may be saying, I find myself uh, encouraged and challenged at the same time. And uh, I'd like to tell you some stories from my own life and my own call to follow Jesus uh, that have been brought to mind by preparing uh, for this word. So the first story is when I was a new believer, I was 19 years old. I had this radical conversion to following Jesus, and I was going to prayer meetings and Bible studies and fellowship groups most nights of the week. And uh, I was also uh, coaching CYO football and basketball that year, not very far from here in Redford at Our Lady of Loretto. Uh, and uh, I loved sports. I loved the major sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. I loved to play them. I loved to coach them. And so now I'm this new believer in Jesus, and I've been following Jesus for a couple of months. And I realized the change going on inside of me. It seemed like I felt the presence of the Lord most all of the time, except when I was coaching basketball. And I was like, what's going on? This this was always my favorite thing. And now it's it's my least favorite thing. And in general, I'm I'm very encouraged by the love of God in in the sense that Jesus is with me. But I'm not feeling that when I'm coaching basketball. So I I pray about it. And, you know, we can always get these things wrong. We can always be mistaken. But I felt like Jesus said to me, well, that's because you think I don't know anything about basketball. I'm like, what? Because do you think the only thing I'm interested in is church and, and Bible and hymns? I like everything. If it's not sinful, I like it. And you kind of consciously put me on a shelf when you go to play basketball or to coach basketball because you think, I don't know anything about basketball and I don't care. And you need to invite me to be present with you, even in things that you love, that you Never thought about being important to me. You know, Jesus is not just a priest or pastor. Jesus is king and creator. He's an engineer. He's a poet. He's a musician. He's an artist. He's a gardener. And, and sometimes we get silo in our thinking and we think, the thing that God cares about is Sunday morning and that I read my Bible and that I pray and these kinds of things, which are certainly true. But it's equally true that Jesus cares about our lives as a whole. And so I asked Jesus to help me coach basketball that night. And we had a scrimmage with another team in one of my quietest uh 
mild-mannered young men on my team punched a guy in the face on the other team who kept elbowing him and just all chaos broke out and the other team had to leave and my team's up in a room and I'm going up the stairs and I'm going to really ream them and I felt like the spirit of Jesus says remember me I want this conversation not you and so I was able to say to these young men that if we didn't win any more games, but we grew into the kind of people that God wanted us to be, I was really happy to be their coach. And if we won every game, but we were filled with self-absorption and anger and all these dark things, I was really sorry that I was their coach. And uh, had an opportunity really to share Jesus with these young men that kind of transformed our year. We had a great team. We were 10 and 2, whatever we were. But I learned an important lesson that uh, there is no part of my life that Jesus doesn't want to be a part of. And if there is, it's probably more sinful than I might think. So... Uh, my next story uh, is a few years later, fast forward. I'm a student at Eastern Michigan University. I'm leading a fellowship group up there. I'm taking classes. I'm working a job. And I get an offer to coach a football team that sounds just so cool to me. It's they were called the Ann Arbor Junior Wolverines, and they had uniforms just like U of M, and they had all kinds of great technology and all kinds of bling and uh, all kinds of support, and they, they wanted me to coach this team, and I said, yes! And when I was walking home about a half hour later, I felt like Jesus said to me, you didn't even ask me. I'm like, what? You didn't even ask me whether you should coach this team. And I'm like, what, what? What's wrong with me coaching this team? What's, what's sinful about me coaching this team? And um, and he just came back to, you didn't even ask me. You didn't even ask me. My first Bible teacher, Ralph Morrison, was a great teacher in many ways. And one of the things he would say to us is, if I hold up a dirty sheet in front of me, uh, you can't see me. And I can't see you. Now, if I hold up a clean sheet in front of me, you can't see me, and I can't see you. So the issue isn't always, are the sheets clean or dirty? The issue is, does it get in the way of seeing God? 
does it get in the way of seeing what it is that God wants me to be doing with my life? And it's very possible that all kinds of things are not wrong by themselves, but that they're also not the thing that the Spirit of God has in mind for us. And so I had to spend a lot of time thinking about why I didn't even ask. And one of the reasons was I didn't want to give God a chance to say no. Oh, what if he says no? I better just say yes uh, before I put that forward. And uh, I didn't want to hear what God wanted to say. It was really unbelief on my part because I was thinking, well, you know what? You know, I want this for myself and I, I don't really want to hear what the Spirit of God may have to say. Now, through a number of circumstances and incidents, I realized that uh, I shouldn't have accepted that job uh, without praying about it. And at some point, I became convicted that I need to find a respectable way to decline this job and uh, manage to do so. And as it turned out that fall, I was not in Ann Arbor or Ypsilanti. I was back in Detroit, and the church gave me a bookstore down by Wayne State to connect with people. And I met people who have been my best friends for the last 50 years of my life. And I met Evelyn, my wife, and all kinds of things happened in that next year that never would have happened <laughs> had I coached this team. And uh, my dad used to say, well, pal, you wouldn't know if I told you. And they're, uh, part of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus is, the wind blows where it will. You don't know where it's going, where it's coming from, where it's going. And that's what it's like to be led by the Spirit of God. So as I was thinking about this, chapter and major adjustments in our life, remembering that story came back to me. My, my third and last story is much more recent. Uh, I was pastoring a church in Chicago in 2016. And um, first of all, I went to this Christian conference, this midwinter conference, and there was a bookseller who was selling a certain Bible uh, that was very seeker friendly. And he was saying that, that this Bible, which didn't use chapters and, and ran more as a simple narrative, would really be effective in helping people come to Jesus. And my response was, this is a gimmick. I have 20 Bibles in my house. What do I need another Bible for? This is just a scam from somebody to convince me that I need one more Bible, and I dismissed them. So a handful of months later, 
I get a free copy of one of these in the mail while I'm pastoring this church in Chicago. And I'm like, this is that scam. This is these people trying to convince me that I need this Bible, that my other Bibles aren't going to work. And it's just ridiculous. I'm not, I'm going to throw it in the trash. But when I went to bed that night, it was like a neon sign. And it was just, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm not even really given this any thought? I've already, you know, ready, fire, aim. You know, I, I've already taken a position. And the spirit was just like, what if you're wrong though, Bob? You could be wrong. And it, it hit me so hard that the next day I fished this Bible out of the trash and I called one of the young women in our church and I said, would you do me a favor? I got this Bible in the mail and uh, it's for, you know, community Bible study. And uh, would you take it home for a few days and look it over and tell me what you think of it? And she said, sure. And I called her a few days later. I said, so what do you think? She goes, I think it's great. I said, would you be willing to co-host with me a, a, a community Bible study with this Bible? She goes, I'd love to do that. And we made the offer in our church and in our neighborhood. And about 15, 20 people signed up right away. People who had never signed up before. And half the people who did, I never met before and weren't part of our church or anything. And we had such a great time in the word, in that book. And then another group in the church said, how come you're only doing it in the daytime? We work in the daytime. We, we'd like to do it at night. So it became this other group. And then another Bible study started. And then another one that was just like, huh, I was wrong. I was wrong. You know, I think for every follower of Jesus, you know, I, I, I don't know what I think sometimes when preachers ask people to repeat what they say, but I'm going to ask you to repeat. What, what I'm saying here, what if I'm wrong? You know, is there any way in which I might be wrong? You know, how I see politics, how I see sports, how I see different uh, issues going on around us. Am I willing to consider under the light of the Spirit of God how I might be wrong. If you happen to be married, your spouse can probably give you a head start on a couple of things you could think about in which you might be wrong. Uh, if you have children that are have reached at least adolescence, I'm guessing that they could probably give you and me some clues on how we may be wrong. And uh, I tell you, it's very refreshing 
for people of faith to admit they're wrong. And actually, it can break down so many walls uh, with our neighbors, in our own families, in the dynamic under our roof, uh, with our employer, with our employees, with fellow workers. It's a great thing to be able to say it. The Fonz, if we go back as far as me and Happy Days TV, the Fonz found he could, just couldn't quite say I'm wrong or I'm sorry, but I swear to you in the name of Jesus, it won't kill you. It may feel like it, but uh, it's really liberating when we can see where we've been wrong and receive forgiveness from God and also forgive ourselves. You know, sometimes I thought I was so humble because I was so mad at myself for something wrong I did, but I realized that too was pride. You know, I was mad at myself because I ruined my image of myself to myself. And instead of just saying, of course. So I want to stop there. And uh, I heard a song by this, uh, this group in Belfast, uh, this revival in Belfast group, uh, Jesus, All for Jesus. And I'd like us to hear this uh, as we conclude today. And we can see up on the screen a few reflection questions that are in the book. But uh, may God uh, bring fruitfulness in the hearing of his word. Thank you. All for Jesus, all I am in hell, never hope to be. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am.
Jesus, all I have and ever hope to be. Jesus, all for my Jesus, all. So 